Hi, and welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Stephen Avila. And I'm Justin Katchis. And today on the podcast, we have Sonica Malholtra, current Langone student and global brand director of Love, Beauty, and Planet at Unilever. She has a really cool story, Stephen. She grew up in India, performed theater when she was young, joined Unilever right out of college, and traveled the world with them. Yeah, and as you mentioned, she's now leading the Love, Beauty, and Planet brand, which is a brand new shampoo, conditioner, and body wash made from ethically sourced, plant-based cleansers, and has a bottle made up of 100% recycled materials. That sounds awesome. I hope we get some free samples. But to quote Sonica, the group behind Love, Beauty, and Planet are the kind of people who stay back and clean up after a music concert, because you can have fun, look beautiful, and do good for the planet all at the same time. That's the spirit of this brand. I love that. And if you're interested in sustainability, making an impact, and empowering others, this episode is for you. You ready to get started, Justin? Let's stir up the volume. Cue that music. From New York University Stern campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome to today's episode of Stern Chats. I'm Justin Katches. And I'm Stephen Avila. And we are so excited to have Sonica Malholtra in the studio with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's so great to see you today. And Sonica, many of us know you from around campus, but for those listeners out there who don't know you, can you give us your 30-second elevator pitch? Yes. So I'm Sonica. I am a part-time student at uh, Langone. And um, I grew up wanting to be a theater actor, but uh, the only kind of acting I now do is at Unilever, which is where I work as a global brand director. So that's what I do. That's incredible. So we're so happy to hear, you know, to have you here today uh, and to talk about your story and in particular your experience at Unilever and your brand, Love, Beauty, and Planet. But we'd like to start all the way at the beginning. Okay. So tell us about where you grew up. Okay, super, super flashback. This is only 16 years ago. No, that's not how old I am. <laughs> I'm a little bit older than that. So I grew up in India. Uh, it's a place called Missouri. Missouri, not like Missouri here, but a different spelling, but it's called Missouri. Uh, it's a really, really small, um, hilly town there. Very beautiful. Very few number of people, but it's uh, known for its international schooling. So right from the beginning, I happened to study with the uh, uh, students from Germany and Thailand and China and so I got that kind of global exposure um, maybe when I was like six or seven years old because that's where all the students came from uh, it was a boarding school and I went partly boarding and partly I stayed with my parents it was uh, beautiful because right from then um, I had a very like wild kind of imagination and so uh, you know I still remember this one time when my parents brought me glass marbles to play with and instead of playing how normal kids would play with it I pretended like they were students in a class and I loaded them on a car and I was like we're going for a picnic and <laughs> this is I'm your physical instructor and this is what we need to do and my mom saw me and she was like going on you're supposed to be playing with these marbles your imagination's wild but I just guess like I loved storytelling right from there so yeah I think my time in Missouri was really really fun it's also one of those places where uh, just by design you tend to become a lot more confident so 
uh, because it's such a small place, I would just walk up to like a juice bar or a restaurant and I'd be like, hey, this is my dad's name and I can I get juice and you can charge him and <laughs> and uh, my friend... Just put it on my tab. <laughs> yeah, right. just put it on my tab and they are all so trusting that they'd be like, yeah, why not? And so, you know, you, you frame these kind of relationships and that's like your early negotiation classes, so to speak. When Does that work at bars in New York City? I wish it did. Right. I mean, imagine if I did go to a bar, like I went to PhD and I'd be like, just charge my dad for it. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's all. And then um, I, I also remember, and this is something my friends always remind me of, that I was such a like business person right from when I was so young. Uh, there's a day called Friendships Day in, in India. And that's when, uh, you know, you tie little bands to your friends to show that you are a true friend. So symbolic. And then the more number of bands you have in your hand, uh, the more friendly you are. And Sounds so, like a popularity contest. It, it was. Everything in high school is popular. (laughs) Don't remind me. (laughs) (laughs) So I would go, uh, and then Missouri is also very famous for its wool because there are like beautiful like sheep and and it's very famous for like its woolen clothes and um, very artistic stuff. So I would go from different wool shops to the others and just say, you know, whatever scraps you have left, I just need some threads to make friendship bands. And my friend and I would sit and make like beautiful, knotted friendship bands and then we got into barter so you would be like you take this friendship band and instead why don't you trade me a, a pen or like a, an eraser or whatever and then my mom found out and she was like this is not right you cannot be <laughs> trading you're in grade third and so yeah it was just super fun growing up there very entrepreneurial even from a young age <laughs> yeah, yeah indeed but you mentioned at the top of the program you were interested in theater so at what point during your studies, did you develop that you were interested in that and maybe made this transition to something other than theater? Yeah, so I was very dramatic just generally in life. Like if I needed something, I was dramatic about it. There was no subtle way of asking for things. But more than that, like I mentioned, I was very imaginative. Um, and that imagination just kept pushing me. But together with imagination, I always wanted to write. I used to uh, write plays. Uh, this happened in college. So in school, I just acted in one-act plays. I, you know, things that I may or may not be proud of, the kind of roles I was given. Uh, I was once a bird, then a tree, and then I was like, I need to get better roles. This, <laughs> this tree is not working out for me. And Did you so, have a lot of lines as the tree? <laughs> no, I no. just had to sway when the music came. <laughs> and so I was like, this has to get better. I need to get better roles. And so I started practicing my singing. And I remember there was uh, Sister Alice used to be our principal that time. And she said, you know, if you get a better voice maybe you get a better role so then my friend and I would practice and practice and we got a little bit better and then I got a fishmonger's role with a mustache which was a little bit of a promotion (laughs) so so that's like my early uh, acting uh, time but then in college uh, with a few of my friends I started uh, writing little plays and short stories but together with imagination I think we always wanted to write something that was a little bit more meaningful and so I remember there was this one play that a few friends wrote and we, we were like an amateur theater group. We uh, performed. It was about um, uh, child molestation. Um, and I think at that age, writing about a sensitive topic like that was not just hard, but it was also very like meaningful to us. 
Uh, we presented and then there was someone from uh, Pakistan who was watching and Pakistan as you know uh, has very con- you know at that time had some conservative ideas about what can and cannot be presented and then he invited us uh, to Lahore to perform which was super incredible for us wow um, and so a few of us packed our bags and left for Lahore and we performed a couple of times there which was what was the reception like when you was, got there when we got there I think It, we were a little bit scared but mm-hmm. we were so excited and then uh, sometimes when you get on stage you just you just don't even know what's going on but the reception was amazing and the story uh, like i said was a very brave story to tell it was an 8 year old story that was the, that's why the play was called 8 um and um, it was received super well people complimented us a lot a uh, very minimalist play we had no money obviously that time so everything was around blocks and the production was very basic but i think the story was powerful the lead uh, writer on the play a, a girl called shilpi then went on to become a very very big like documentary filmmaker in india she recently received the president's award she's like going oh, wow. places with it and uh, i she, you know she told me oh my god you have rolled into the corporate velvet ditch and you're never going to come out of it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it is kind of comfortable here. So <laughs> With friends yeah. like those, right? <laughs> exactly. Do you, uh, and you don't have to do this, but yes. do you remember any of the songs and could you sing one for us? Oh my God, like the songs from school? Yeah. That's going to be super embarrassing. Okay, let me remember. So I played a fairy once and I do remember... Oh no 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 I played a fishmonger which was my first promotion to being a human on stage so there I would sing uh, herrings for breakfast herrings for tea like that is brilliant bravo <laughs> bravo bravo <laughs> that is super embarrassing then I became a fairy and then as a fairy I sang high on a hill on a lonely road to ooh, 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 ooh. wow wow <laughs> I tell you, oh, you, if this if this Unilever thing doesn't work out, you could go back. I could back. be a fairy <laughs> <laughs> or a fishmonger somewhere. <laughs> okay, so you have this amazing opportunity to travel and to perform. And when you're in college, you make this transition to an integrated marketing program. Yes. What was that transition like and why were you interested in marketing in particular? So I think I, I was very, even though I was so much into extracurriculars, I was also very, very academically inclined. I used to get very good grades. I was always top of my class. And so when the time came to get into a college, it's like anywhere else, it's super competitive, more so even in India, it's very competitive. Um, and I was planning to study journalism when I finished school. And I told my mom that I think I want to do journalism. And uh, she was like, yeah, if you want to do journalism, go ahead and do it. But you, you know, you've got such good grades. Why don't you try for a course which mandates good grades? And so um, I signed up for ma- the marketing course at one of the best colleges that there were in Delhi University. And so I got into marketing and I did a lot of research before getting into marketing just to see what am I going to study and how exciting it's going to be. And the way I interpreted marketing that time was that, you know, it's it's something about storytelling, but it, it has such a strong human angle to it uh, because we may say this is like functional marketing or emotional marketing. At the end of the day, everybody is emotional, whether you're buying a car or whether you're buying a candy or or whether you're buying clothes. Everything is emotional. And there was something about that that I really liked 
and I said, you know, let's study marketing. Um, I was also good at accounting, so I did another like kind of specialization in accounting. Um, just for fun, right? Just for fun. I mean, fun. I know Stephen loves to do accounting <laughs> for fun. I prefer being a fairy, to be honest. But, uh... <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I went in for accounting as well. And then um, in college, again, the playwriting started, and I, I did study. I didn't study as much as I used to in school, because, uh, like, who does? But college was fun. And then I remember Unilever was interviewing. And that was a day which I like vividly remember. There was a movie that had come out. And I was like, I really want to watch this movie. And I'm a big like Bollywood fan. So I was supposed to go to watch the movie. And my friend's like, no, it's Unilever's first like group discussion and interview panel. You cannot go for that. You have to come for this. And I was like, no. And then I waited. And I was like, movie? And then an interview. And then my friend was going for the interview. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. We'll just go for the interview. And I, at that time, too, I was thinking I'll join National School of Drama. I'll do a little bit more of that. And then um, I remember when I sat for the interview, there was um, the panelists. It was a group discussion. And the, the conversation just was so natural. It wasn't like your typical corporate expectations like you know you're going to discuss a business case or a scenario like that it was very insightful very like behavior based and I thought it, it just came very naturally to me so from one round to another to a third it, I just kept clearing it and then finally I got invited to the head office which is in Bombay and uh, I went and finally you know interviewed with the panel there and I remember in distinctly in the panel, there was a lady. She's now heading HR for Unilever globally. And I, you know, when she was talking to me, something told me that I really want to be like her because she was so kind, so uh, graceful, so beautiful, so intelligent. But at the same time, she was, you know, brave in her own um, vulnerable way. And I really liked that. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I wish I could be like her. And she just in some ways inspired me to be like, if I get this, I'm going to put like my heart and soul into this. And that was like 12 years ago and I'm still with the company. So that's how I made my transition into Unilever. Wow, that's incredible. And yeah. ha has she been a mentor for you since then? Or did you guys just, does she know this? I mean, she, if she listens to this podcast, is this going to be the first time that she I think it? so. I think she doesn't know this, but uh, f we haven't stayed in touch that much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she has a very active social profile. She puts out her thoughts very often. She's leading HR for our company. So I keep reading into what uh, she's doing. So mm -hmm. I do follow her in that sense. But, yeah, I haven't, like, told her my confession. <laughs> so I, I did want to ask one thing about this process because it sounds so natural the way that you talk about how you transition from something completely different into a corporate environment mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, a mentor and a leader kind of inspired you to do so. You know, a lot of MBAs as they come back to school, right, they don't know what they want to do, mm -hmm. right? They've been doing one thing and they're trying to kind of figure it out on the fly. And I know Stephen and I have <laughs> talked about this all the time. It's like, okay, you, you show up here and you have all of this opportunity, right? So how did you, you know, was there any trepidation? Did you kind of like say, you know, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I want to do something else. Mm -hmm. how, how did you kind of just say, okay, let's put theater to the side and let's yeah. go into the, the corporate environment? I guess there's always, at any given point in time for me or maybe for everyone else, uh, there's always a tug between your head and your heart. And um, it's, and I, I think there are very rare opportunities that, you are able to get something which appeals to both the head and the heart. 
Uh, I'll give you an example. I was doing accounting. I also got an interview from another consulting firm. It's um, and I I could have taken that up, but there was something about consulting which didn't appeal to my heart. It appealed to my head probably in terms of salary even more, but it didn't appeal to my heart. And I feel you're the best version of yourself at work if you're doing something which is more purposeful for you. At Unilever, we've started two years ago a, a thing called Purpose Driven Work, which means and the process is really cool. Like there are these um, trainers who come and they ask you to come into the workshop with stories from your childhood and not from your adulthood, because in adulthood you you engineer yourself to say certain things and be a certain way, but your childhood stories will show threads of what truly are you good at and what truly is your purpose and passion and at and what we should try and do as adults is that if if we are lucky enough to know that there's a purpose that I have a uh, find a way to bring that to your work and I think for any MB or anyone who's looking for a job or something to put their heart and soul into just ask yourself like is this truly my purpose so my after the workshop of purpose that I have done more recently uh, my purpose was as simple as like making people happy like as as vague as that sounds I really like making people happy or just you know be it giving a present or, or creating something that makes people happy and uh, I do bring that to work and I do bring that to the brands that I work on, the assets I create, the social posts we write for our brand, the language we use on our packaging. So I think it's important to just ask yourself, like, what is your purpose and what gives you the most joy? And if uh, a job or an opportunity sort of binds, of course, we all need money, guys. But like if it binds the money with that purpose, um, it's nice. Yeah, it's truly the best of both worlds. And yeah. you've been fortunate to have this purpose and to have this North Star, if you will, yes. throughout your career at Unilever. Yeah. Um, so as you started this uh, new, exciting adventure in your life, you know, you joined the company through a leadership training program, yes. which showed you tons of different opportunities throughout India and around the world. Talk us through the beginning part of your career and some of the experiences you had the opportunity to take a part of. So I feel so uber lucky that I did not join just directly, um, you know, and started working and, and doing all of that. But we went through a training program, which in that at that time seemed like such a pain because you are leaving the comforts of, you know, your college where your parents visited you every weekend and my mom would set my closets because they were not good. And so I... I, <laughs> I wish my mom would <laughs> <laughs> So my mom totally spoiled me crazy. And after that, I joined this company and they're like, oh, you're going to go into rural India and you're going to stay in someone's home for two months um, and learn about their lives and how they're leading their lives. And this is at, you know, this is at Unilever, and uh, and you may or may not know their language. And I was like, hmm. because, of course, India is one country, but there are like 80 different languages, mm -hmm. and it's hard to know all the languages. So I was like, oh, my God, I wish I get posted in Delhi or Bombay. At least I can speak the language. How old are you during this time? I am uh, 21 this okay, time. Okay, so you're pretty young, yeah. right out of college. Right out of college, just turned 21. Exactly, actually, just turned 21, and this is what's happening to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, please give me a metropolitan city so at least I can see my friends. Or, you know, I didn't drink that time, so bars weren't an attraction. But I was like, at least I can go out. Maybe there's a barista somewhere, and I could drink Theater coffee. Theater companies. Exactly. Watch go a see few the movies. Days, go mm. see the movies. 
But um, I, it so happens that I get posted into uh, southern India in like a rural part of Karnataka, which is another state. And I'm given a sales rotation where my daily job is actually sit behind a biker and go from store to store because it's it's uh, not organized retail there, right? Like here you have big stores like a Walmart or Target or Walgreens. It's like uh, mom and pop stores. That's what it's mm-hmm. just like it's just small stores and general retail, so it's nothing organized the way it is in the U.S. So we go from store to store, taking orders on if if we were in certain we used to call them beats, which is like certain areas were called beats, and if there we had like an iPad of sorts, but otherwise it's pen and paper, and you're like, how many bars of soap can I order for you? And then you take that order and you move from store to store. And I still remember very distinctly that one day I was sitting on a bike, and Unilever values safety a lot. One day I was sitting on a bike, and we were supposed to mandatorily wear helmets uh, on the bike. And then I look right, and I see this woman, and I'm like, that helmet is the size of a UFO. Why (laughs) is she wearing that? And then I noticed that I'm looking at myself in the glass of a car, like, parked next to me. I was like, is that me? This is how stupid I look. Like, it was such a big helmet. But I did that for about five months. And I remember that I was leading a team of salespeople, some of who were, like, twice my age. And I was supposed to be their manager, uh, managing their targets and, you know, uh, all of their expectations, financial expectations, which at such an early age are so hard because Mm -hmm. you don't even understand the implication of a big bonus versus a small bonus on his family or his kids. So... It was a lot of like growing up emotionally that you need to do more than in terms of skills. And so I did that for five months. And I do remember like initially I didn't understand their language. They would, you know, in sales teams, like you take breaks where you, you're you going for a smoke break or a tea break. And they would stand there and chat in their language. And they felt obligated to like switch to whatever broken Hindi they spoke, which mm-hmm. is the language I knew. And I kept, and initially I was like, this is not fun for me. I'm just going to sit back in the distribution center. They can take the break and come back. But a month from then, I was like, I have so much fun when I go with these guys. Like, they make fun of me, and I make fun of them, and it's so much fun. And so, in hindsight, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. It also tells you the ground reality. Like, you can make the coolest of brands. Uh, But if the people who are selling the brands for you don't know what the brand is about, then any presentation, anything is meaningless. And so Mm -hmm. just understanding the reality of that is important. I also then happened to go to rural India where I stayed with a family. There's a program called Shakti Amma program in India, which uh, Shakti Amma basically means strong mother. And it was a program which was started as a way to empower women in rural India to become entrepreneurs. So it's a win-win because we need distribution in certain areas uh, where trucks can't go or cars can't go to distribute the stuff. But at the same time, these women are homemakers and with a little bit of skill in terms of numbers or just understanding the logic of getting stock and selling it, it was uh, it, it's a win-win for them and us because you make 
little entrepreneurs out of them with just little training, but we get distribution and we get awareness that we want in like really remote parts. So I did stay with a family um, at their place for a while. And it are you was, training them to do something, or are you? Yeah. So what is it exactly that you're doing through this program? Because it sounds amazing. Yeah. So what you do during this stint or rotation is that for these two months, you are training them in like stock keeping so you are helping them understand how to keep stock by through registers or simple skills like that that you're bringing in say five bar soaps and you're selling three of them you have two of them left so when do you need to place the order for the next three mm -hmm. um, or uh, how to every day when you come back how to take notes when you're selling home to home what to tell people so I remember there was a life bar uh, life boy soap which uh, for many years has been working towards uh, child health because in many parts of India, a child doesn't grow um, beyond the age of five because sickness hits and different kinds of infections. And so uh, just telling them the basic hygiene of like wash your hands every time you go to the bathroom or you go play and come back. So just training her in passing the message which can truly impact lives of these people are things that I was doing. And, uh, more Which is pretty amazing, given the fact that you're so such a, at such a young age, yes. right? Mm -hmm. You're fresh out of college, yeah, and you're kind of put in charge of of managing these people and training them. You know, how is that experience kind of being thrust into a leadership role? And do you think like being a woman in a leadership role or being younger in a leadership role? presented any challenges that you needed to overcome at that time? It did, actually. So um, I remember this one uh, distributor I was meeting. He was my dad's age, and uh, he told me, why are you working? Does your dad make you work? You should be in school. That's what my daughter does. Like, she goes to school, and then you should get married. Like, don't do all this. But you're sitting on bikes behind men and going around these places. In like, your UFO don't. helmet. Uh, yeah, in a UFO helmet. And I was like, no, I like doing this. My dad doesn't ask me to do it. I'm enjoying doing this. And I think as a girl, the like I said, I think getting professional skills is a part of what you're learning. But for me, the biggest win was that it suddenly grows you up and it just puts things in perspective, like things that you complain about. And then you come into this place where, you know, people are trying to just make a basic living, wash their hands and they could get a new lease on life, like very simple things like that. So for me, it was just like emotionally such a um, growing process, which I would not trade for anything. It was just beautiful like that. Yeah, so you're not only defying expectations, but you're empowering people. You're making a real impact in people's lives. Yeah. It really is the best of both worlds. Yeah. And at that time, you don't realize you're changing lives, you know, because it's too much of an expectation from yourself. Mm -hmm. At that time, you just want to do what you're told to do very, very well. But in the process, in hindsight now, because I, I you know, I'm looking at my life back and seeing it in perspective. In hindsight, I realized that it would have changed a little bit someone's life. But at that time, you're just like in this world seeing what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. what am I doing? So you have this amazing experience and it takes you all around the world. Yes. You have the opportunity to work in London. Yes. You have the opportunity to work in Vietnam. But eventually you arrived to the United States. Correct. What was the decision behind that move? And I'll just end it right there. What was the decision <laughs> behind that move? End of sentence. Okay. It was a very... <laughs> <laughs> it was a very... Um, 
very very rational decision no i so unilever was not just given me amazing experiences it's also given me a then boyfriend and now husband so we are uni lovers i met my uh, uni lovers <laughs> yeah, it's super corny like that <laughs> but we were uni lovers i met him at unilever in our ice cream team which is where i worked and uh, we fell in love and then he joined uh he came for business school to the us uh to another school with a purple color and uh, <laughs> that shall not be named that no. shall <laughs> that shall not be named and he came here and then he joined a consulting firm he was working here uh we would find ways to meet in between continents but it was becoming a little bit harder and then uh i just decided that i want to interview for roles in the us and i interviewed for one and i got it and i moved and it was it was a great decision for love and for work So speaking of love, yes. we'd love to talk about <laughs> love, beauty and pride. Nice. So do you want to just introduce to our listeners what that is? Awesome. Okay. So my favorite part. So um Love Beauty and Planet is a brand that we have launched uh in December of 2017. A uh, very young brand. It's a labor of our love. If you happen to see a pack uh, on shelf, you will see there's a heart on the back and I very I'm very cheesy and I often say that heart represents the heart of the team that worked behind the brand. It is a brand of hair care and uh, body products and uh It is a sustainable brand. It's designed with sustainability at its heart. Um it smells amazing. It does good things for your hair um and your skin. So if you do get a chance, um you guys should go to any store. It's available at uh, Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, Target, uh Duane Reade, whatever. It's available everywhere. Incredible. And we will be uh highlighting the products via our Instagram for awesome. our listeners back home. So take keep a look out for that. I'd be curious, you know, how did the opportunity to create this new hair and body care line at Unilever come about? Mm-hmm. So I was working on another hair care brand uh, called Nexus, uh, which is a premium salon hair care brand that Unilever owns, and uh, I had a boss who was very keen on. He he's one of those people who doesn't take status quo to go too easily. He likes to change things up. He likes to disrupt, do new things. He's very very brave. He happened to say, "You know what? I think we really need a new naturals or naturals inspired brand in the US." And this is a time when he has his own job and I have my own job, and so this is a little bit like a side gig. And just the idea of launching a new brand was so tempting that I said, "Yeah, why not?" And so both of us uh, sat at the drawing board and I started writing up uh narratives as i call them and we can talk a little bit about the process of how to get to that but writing narratives and brand ideas and um it just so happened that instead of just being a brand um you know in hair care it expanded into the other parts of personal care and that's why body lo- body washes etc came into the picture but uh, it was really we we know that consumers today are very much attracted to brands with a purpose brands that are kind of emulating what their ideology is what their ethos is and i think people don't buy into what you're selling but uh why you're selling it and uh this brand just at the heart of it seemed like the right thing to do uh not just from a marketing story standpoint but the way we've built the product we do things thing that we're not changing the world but like it's about little small things that do actually make a little bit of difference to the planet so small acts of love 
Yeah, you nailed it. I also got a bag which says small acts of love for you guys. Oh, that's coming home with me. Oh, <laughs> so hearing you talk about the brand, I can't help but think back to our conversation about you yourself, right, and the advice that you gave to other people, which is find purpose, Yeah. right? Do things with purpose. Do things not only with your head but also with your heart. Yeah. And it sounds like this brand is a true reflection of not only, you know, what you want to do yeah. but also what is good, yeah. right, and what is right. Yeah. So Talk about love, beauty, and and planet, and how you came up with that name and, and what that means. Yeah. So I think the name piece is, it is a different name. It's like a sentence. It's a mouthful. But uh, when we were launching the brand, the one, one thing that we did think of was nobody has attention today. There's a little anecdote that I got from somewhere, which is the average attention span of all of us uh, is roughly eight seconds today. And uh, that I'm taking the under on myself. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? (laughs) (laughs) And that of a goldfish, brace yourself, is nine seconds. Now, I don't know if this is factually accurate or not, but basically the the joke that we crack on each other, are you a goldfish? It's true. We are worse than a goldfish today. So when we were launching the brand, we said, imagine if she saw nothing else. She saw no social posts, no print ads, no TV advertising, and she has little attention span, uh, what do you want her to take away when she looks at you while passing in an aisle in a store? And the brand needs to give it all away. So the brand's name is Love, Beauty, and Planet because that's exactly what the brand is. It stands for Love for Beauty and the Planet. And another thing which I love to tell people is that the word love is a verb. It's not a noun. Uh, It's the act of loving beauty and planet. So we can never put the logo with an apostrophe after it or a comma after it. It's love, beauty, and planet. The logo itself, for those who can see it at some point, it has an inherent equal to sign in it. So the beauty is written on a bar and then planet is written on the other bar. So it somehow emulates in uh, semiotically, in like a subconscious way, the idea of that beauty doesn't have to come at the cost of the planet and there is an inherent balance between the two. And so that's why it's love, beauty, and planet with an equal design. So for so many of us at Stern, sustainability, corporate social responsibility are big themes that we talk about in class Mm -hmm. and are areas that many of us are interested in. In fact, as you know, NYU has an entire Center for Sustainable Business, and we offer classes here uh, within school. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious, as you're coming up with the idea for this product and all the planning and the narratives that go into it, how do you incorporate and get buy-in from a global organization like Unilever to actually invest in this and make this a priority? Yeah, so Unilever is actually uh, one of the biggest uh, proponents or supporters of sustainability. Uh, It started with our CEO really, really um, uh, pressing on the need for doing things sustainably. And the reason for that is that I think there is no other way to do business. There is a report that Edelman comes up with. It's called a Trust Barometer Report. And the Trust Barometer Report uh, does surveys across the world amongst consumers to gauge their trust in three bodies, governments, nonprofits, and uh, companies or organizations. And uh, the last report I saw in 2016 or 17 actually said that the trust has fallen in governments, nonprofits. And the only saving grace in some ways are organizations like ours, which is in the U.S. It's a little bit different depending on the geography you're talking about, which tells us that in some ways we are in such a place of position 
uh, but also a place of responsibility. As someone very wise said, with power comes responsibility. <laughs> Spider-Man <Right>. too. <laughs> so with that, you realize that people are not just buying a shampoo. They're not just buying a, a body wash. They are buying into the idea of why you made it and how you made it. So when we were coming up with the product, um, we said one thing that let's not wait for perfection because a lot of times you're like, I'm launching a sustainable brand. I will launch it when I cross all T's and dot all I's. And I think that personally, it's a mistake because if everybody just waited for perfection, I don't know how long it would take to get things right. And so I think purity of intent is bigger than perfection and it's important. So as long as you sh display purity of intent and good intentions towards the planet or whatever your purpose or cause is, whichever brand you're talking about, uh, take small acts. And that's why small acts is so integral to our brand. As an example, all of our packaging is uh, made with recycled materials, but our caps are not. And we could have waited and said, you know, let's give ourselves one more year and launch only when the whole thing is made of recycled materials. But we waste that one year of producing bottles which are made with virgin plastic, for example. So let's take whatever small actions we can get the ball rolling and keep perfecting along the way. Hold ourselves accountable to it. Tell your consumers about it so they hold you accountable for actions that you are trying to take. And the other thing is Unilever has a very, very strong sustainability group and extremely forward technologies when it comes to your entire supply chain. So don't just look at a small part of your value chain. So where you source it from, how you make it, how you package it, in what you package it, and then how you sell it is the way you need to look at uh, how you're building the product. And then, of course, because we are megaphones with um, you know advertising spends, the responsibility of inspiring others using our social channels or our advertising to do similar things uh, can, can al also be a good idea. So I like to look at our brand um, work on sustainability under two pillars. I call it like the we act. So how do we act well? And then how does she act well? And it's kind of shared responsibility. So we, you know, make our fragrances from um, essential oils, which are ethically procured. So not too many people know, but in the past many years, so many fragrances have gone extinct just because it's a very fragile supply chain. Some fragrances grow once in 12 months. And so if you don't source them from ethical programs, they are going to go away. So it's expensive. But if you do that right thing, people are incentivized to keep growing that fragrance or the packaging, which is made with recycled materials. We came up with a new technology called Fast Rinse Conditioner Technology, which gives you the ability to wash the conditioner faster. Um, if she continues to take a shower for much longer than the technology is wasted, right? But we, from our side, have enabled her to take a sh shorter shower. And therefore, I say it's a shared responsibility. And then the she acts part of it is where you use ways to inspire her, like bike to work, you know, reuse, like use your cartons or materials to produce other things. And if you go on social channels, like so many people are up for reducing, reusing, recycling, and there's a lot out there. So I think it's kind of shared responsibility, but we can't shirk our responsibility from how we make our products. Uh, it puts pressure on the industry. If we have demanded as one big corporate that we need recycled material bottles, 
there will be others that will demand it too. And suppliers will need to make sure that they do give you plastic, which is made with recycled materials instead of being produced, um, you know, from virgin plastic. Because old plastics are much more expensive than new plastics. And so there's very little incentive for suppliers to give you uh, old plastics. Like nobody's asking them for it. So I just think like the way we make our products to how we sell it um, is helpful to make a little bit of change in the planet. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing I wanted just to, to press on a bit was the term ethically sourced. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what that means. Okay. And I'm curious if you could just define that for our listeners and for myself. Sure. So we uh, partner with a fragrance house called Givaudan. There are lots of fragrance houses. This is the fragrance house we partner with. They have a very strong program, which is called the Givaudan Foundation. Like I said, like a lot of times, fragrances can be super fragile. So to produce a little bit of fragrance oil, there's a lot of flowers that go into it, into the distillation process um, um, and stuff like that. So ethically sourced fragrances basically come from a program where uh, you are sourcing your oils or essential oils only from places which are supporting a local community. So, for example, in case of a Bulgarian rose, you, the farm that is getting that Bulgarian rose from Bulgaria um, is supported by the Jividan Foundation and made sure that the families are taken care of, the kids go to school, depends from one ingredient to another. Um, for example, in case of lavender, which for us comes from France, um, there was a big epidemic where the lavender was dying. And so this program ensures that they train people who are harvesting the lavender to uh, fertilize in a way that uh, the lavender doesn't die and it continues over a period of time. So it depends which. There was another ingredient. It's a mimosa from Morocco. It's a flower. That has a nice ring to it. Mim- mimosa from Morocco. <laughs> it does. I like that. Yeah. Bottomless mimosas. This <laughs> from, Morocco. <laughs> from Morocco. From <laughs> Morocco. So they're, they're mostly plucked by women because, like, women have delicate hands, and so it requires a certain, like, active, like, the way you pluck it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the women in that farm um, said that we can't live our kids leave our kids behind because when we're working in the farm what are the kids going to do so Jividan Foundation set up a little like nursery and park kind for the kids right next to where the farm is and so the kids can play there be in that little nursery creche of sorts and the mothers can work and I think um, uh, again that enables that that Morocco Mimosa from Morocco is being cultivated regularly. So like little, little things that the foundation was doing just ensured that we got the best of sense from the right places. But at the same time, you know, they were coming from the right sources. It sounds like they were doing small acts of love. Exactly. And as a consumer, I may not necessarily know all that when I purchase one of these products. So yeah. how, how do you educate consumers and, you know, promote that narrative so that, you know, we're making these conscious decisions when purchasing products? Yeah. So um, the one thing that new age marketing allows us to do is talk to the consumer a lot. I think gone are the days, and I, I did work in a time when you made an ad film and you made a print ad and you blew millions behind it and you said, okay, I've reached like 3.3 million people and if with a conversion rate of this much, we will get so much sale. I think those times are gone. Like now, brands are like people. So you need to find an easy way to tell all of these many, many stories and Instagram allows you to do it. Twitter allows you to do it. Consumers are immediately responding, asking questions. So the you know if you post a 
picture of a mimosa flower telling about how amazing the scent is consumers will immediately ask you like what what you know what is ethically sourced even mean why are you saying that and you have the opportunity to have a one on one conversation with them and tell them and so it means you need to be honest with what you're saying and how you're saying it but at the same time it's like so many platforms to talk to them and which wasn't the case say even 5 years ago so this is the Stern Chats podcast. So we'd be remiss if we did not talk a oh, little bit about Stern. Got it. So you're a Langone student here. Yes. What have you gotten from the Stern experience that's helped you mm-hmm. in your role at Unilever? Firstly, I would look at the image of Washington Square Park even when I was in school and I I wanted to join uh, New York University as undergrad or MBA, one of the two. When I came to New York, um, I decided to join Stern. One because, of course, it was uh, close to me, but more importantly, I'd heard great things about the kind of mix of people that Stern brings together. Langone was super convenient for me because, um, of course, I, I have a very hectic work schedule, but um, I'm able to come to school in the evenings on weekends where I can take a weekend class. I can do that. It's a very flexible program. The professors are super smart, but also super nice so if you do have some a work uh, thing that you know asks you not to attend a class you can attend an alternate class somewhere and so for me langon has been a learning experience without the inconvenience of learning if that makes sense like a mm-hmm. lot of times you join school and you're like oh my god i'm in school like i can't do a b c things but I've been lucky because the school al- allows you that flexibility because they respect you as human beings who have work lives and personal lives and at the same time you're willing to learn. Um other than that I think the my biggest takeaway from other than the academic of it and I've enjoyed a lot of other classes which I can talk about in a bit but uh has been the students and professors that I've met. I have met some of the nicest people with very different visions about life very different ideas to look at the same thing and so knowingly or unknowingly it's just broadened the way i think of things and how i look at mm. things and we are from such different backgrounds like uh in my first class i made very close friends with people from such different backgrounds like one of them worked at stern itself the other one was a weatherman the third one um you know was working for a competitor firm and the fourth one was working for a broadway show and like it was so cool to just like be around people because true learning actually happens sometimes even after the lectures over and for me that was kind of the case and i've met brilliant professors to both soft skills and hard skills um the professors are very very smart um and not just not just like nerdy wise like they're worldly wise like they and because i've worked in corporate for so long I would have hated to be uh told only academic things cuz like I know reality of what happens mm-hmm. at a corporate world but I I have not sat not too many times frustrated saying what is she talking about mm-hmm. or what is he talking about because they seem to know what they're talking about It's grounded like in experience not necessarily just theory Exactly and and that's nice So so how do you find balance in your life going to school and working at Unilever working on these amazing products what do you what do you do for fun and to keep yourself sane in the midst of all this yeah so last year was crazy like i <laughs> at some point thought that i am going to get a heart attack because i was just running between work and my work is new jersey so i take a bus come back to 96 take a train down run to class 
Um, so it was crazy. But in some ways, uh, Stern gave me an opportunity to unplug from the stress of work, the amount of work. Of course, I was basically, I, all I did was have like three to four hours of sleep and then throughout the day I was just going, going, going. But it was some kind of kind of an adrenaline, a little bit from the new brand that I was working on, but a little bit of this unplugging that I get when I come to school. I even did not skip like my Thursday happy hour because after class, like at nine o'clock, because even if I had a meeting at seven in the morning at work in New Jersey the next day, because I, I just think it's just so nice to just unplug and uh, you know separate yourself from the daily like action and craziness and and have a drink and of course have vodka with <laughs> that always helps <laughs> with orange juice no ice awesome so as we kind of wrap up here yes what is your goal for the brand that you're running in the next five years and what do you hope to accomplish oh my god that's such a big question like let's close it on a high um We've just we've only just started, but what we are seeing from the brand is just so good. Uh, early results, but we are seeing like all all of the performance metrics. I'm not going to use that jargon here, but we're doing very well. I think the hope is, of course, for the brand to do really well and continue growing in the U.S. at some point abroad uh, in different categories. So I'm very excited about that. But more than that, I'm excited on two fronts. One is this, like I described, the second pillar of She Acts and how we can be, in some ways, uh, an inspiration for other people to do similar kind of work. So we've, uh, I, I forgot to mention, but we've tied up with an organization called Ashoka where we've, we are supporting like three girls who are in their own little ways, trying to make a little bit of difference to the planet. So there's a girl called Jessica Schreiber. She's based in New York City. She runs a thing called Fab Scrab. She collects old-fashioned waste and she upcycles it and sells it to fashion students. And I, we are kind of showcasing their work and their small acts to tell people mm. that if you have an idea it's not too small, like no idea is too small. So my ambition is if we can do more and more of that and help other people feel like their ideas about doing something for the planet uh, is possible and doable, don't feel helpless or don't feel too small to make a change. We all talk about global warming, but like none of us can say, how is it happening? What is going on? And you don't need to, but all you need to know that if you bike to work, or, uh, you know, you share a cab versus taking your own cabs. In some ways, somewhere, through some chemistry, you're helping the planet. Or if you're using less plastic or you're reusing things, like, in some ways, you're helping the planet. So If everybody did that, then uh, it has a massive exactly, impact, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, I was blown away by a statistic the other day that if all the women in the U.S., and I don't know why it's a women-only stat, but let's for a moment think. If all the women in the U.S. cut their shower time by 10 seconds, 10 seconds is like nothing, 10 seconds, we would save enough water for half a million people for a full year. That's like mind-blowing to wow. think about how much of an impact like small little things can have. So if there's one thing other than the success of the brand that I could wish for, it's that if everybody recognizes that there's so much power that they have at their own hand and never feel too small to do little things that can make a difference, that's my second ambition with the brand. So for those of us uh, at home that are interested in following Love, Beauty, and Planet and purchasing this product, where can we find it? So definitely follow us on Instagram. We keep updating stuff. And we have a Facebook account. We have a Twitter account. It's all Love, Beauty, and Planet. Um, to buy it, just buy it. You can go online, buy it on Walmart.com or Target.com and Amazon. 
Walgreens, CVS, Dwayne Reed, everywhere. We are nationally distributed. And uh, if you don't find it, tell me because that's not right. It has to be everywhere. Uh, or I would love to give out free samples. So if uh, if the Stern students are interested, just drop me a line. You're about to become the most popular person on <laughs> <Yeah>. campus. <laughs> and I am happy to give you swag and samples because the products are really good. So, you know, I'm not doing a brand plug-in, but it's something I would love to use. So, like, let me know and samples all your way. Uh, you, and you should. And we will leverage the podcast here to make that a success oh, as well. Oh, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It has been incredible to hear your story about your early life about your travels all over the world, about your experience at Unilever, and good luck with this new brand. We're super excited to see what you do. Yeah, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for taking the time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.